Welcome back to another exciting episode of On the Line of College Basketball Podcast. I'm joined as always with Ben, my co-host. Tonight, we're going to be going over five good minutes of LSU or should it five bad minutes of LSU before diving into buying and selling of mid-major teams. Um, that's going to exclude Gonzaga because we don't feel like talking about Gonzaga. And we will close with the thing, worst thing that we saw this week. All of that up next on the line. Ben, thank you for joining. Um, let's let's start the clock on LSU. Um, I'll let you go first. We'll talk about where we're at in the season. Uh, it's looking bleak out there, but go. Yeah, uh, if you want to spin it positively, this first half of the SEC season was much, much tougher than the second half. And I thought that Alabama game was maybe the best game they played all year. Alabama is just really, really good. And they have seven, eight guys on their team that can shoot the basketball. They're so hard to guard. And uh, to get beat by 40 points and then come back and lose by nine or 10, and they were in it almost the entire way. And they got stops down the stretch, just couldn't get enough buckets. I thought they played with a lot of heart. I thought they played with a lot of hustle. Um, tonight against Mississippi State, I, they had some good stretches as well. The young guys had some good spots, but, um, man, they just so struggled to score the basketball. But it's good to see Ward getting more minutes. It's good to see Phillips getting more minutes. Uh, Justice Hill looks like the sabbatical he took away from the team really straightened his head on right. He's not making those dumb passes anymore. He He's really taking care of the basketball a lot more, and he's been making some shots. So uh, that's good to see out of him. But I just like to see the young guys get more run. I think what I've seen out of Ward is encouraging, and Phillips as well. Phillips had a really good game tonight, and uh, I just want to keep seeing the young guys out there. Yeah, it needs to keep playing Reed, Ward, Phillips, because they're they're only going to get better. And if you and if you immediately yank them when they make the first mistake of the game, it's it's going to hurt their confidence and. These players actually have upside. Uh, no disrespect to Coleman, he, he has no upside. Like there's, there's no reason you should still be giving minutes at the five to Coleman. Um, it, it needs to be Sean Phillips in there. Uh, I've really liked what I'm seeing out of Jalen Reed. He's actually using his length and athleticism. Like he's, I remember there was a game. I can't remember the exact game, um, but he had to bring the ball up Ben in transition. And, and he just like stopped at half court. And here's a player who's a four star who has played basketball his whole life, probably loves to use athleticism and his length to go coast to coast in high school. And now he's scared to dribble the basketball and transition little things like that. You, you have to let him play. You have to let him get more comfortable at the college level. And there's, there's, positives to come out of a bad season if you actually play your young guys if you play transfers from northwestern state no disrespect to coleman you don't really gain anything from from being a bad team and then in terms of what they're doing poorly uh you saw it tonight they they get into their sets so late man they don't i mean there was there were i was counting tonight ben i think there was five sets that i counted where we did not get into any action until under 10 seconds in the shot clock and you cannot score like that so it, it was it the alabama was the alabama game like you said was very encouraging but for them to come out as flat as they did tonight um it, it was it was it was pretty alarming i, I 
I agree with you about Juice Hill, though. He's playing much better, but that's not saying much when <laughs> where he playing at and and how low it was it was looking for him. So, yeah, I, I, I'm ready to talk about some good teams. So, do you have anything else on LSU? Yeah, I just wanted to also comment on Reed. I, I feel like he's been doing a lot more. Uh, he's been just looking more comfortable out there lately. Like he'll have the ball 10, 12 feet from the rim, and he's six foot ten, and he'll maybe have like a six foot five guy on him. And earlier in the year, he was like facing him up, trying to like do dribble moves, or he was passing it out immediately. But this year, he's just a lot, or this at this point in the year, he's a lot more patient. He realizes, man, if I just turn my back to him, I take three, four dribbles, I'm gonna get all the way to the cup, I can go up, I'm gonna get fouled, or I make the shot. Now he's not a very good free throw shooter, but um, at least he's being aggressive, uh, doing the right things. I think at this point of the season, you have to turn towards development. Sadly, and uh. You're just looking for the right things. You're not really looking for results. You're looking for the process. And I, I like what I've seen of the young guys in terms of that. 100% agree. Last thing, I, I guess, just like as a quick, how did we get here with LSU basketball? I would I would put a lot of stock into um, KJ Williams just hasn't, hasn't really been it for this LSU team, unfortunately. In order, if LSU were to somehow make a ANCA tournament appearance going into the year, I think you and I both would have said that KJ Williams has to be all SEC. He has to be a, a you know a borderline all SEC uh, like first team player, but also a SEC player of the year candidate. And he's just not been that. He's been fine, but at, at times disappears. Much love with the three point shot, um, and he's just not not been imposing as well. So that's my last thing on LSU. All right, so we're going to turn our heads towards mid-major land. Uh, go, go a little contenders or pretenders here with some teams that um, almost 100% are going to be in the tournament at this point, the way they've played this season. Uh, the first team we'll go with is San Diego State out of the Mountain West, um, a team that added some pieces this year that we really liked. Um, at times, they've been a little shaky, but they've they've had some pretty good performances this year. Uh, what what do you think about the San Diego State Aztecs, Casey? San Diego State, a team like San Diego State, Ben, is why I like college basketball so much. It, it, it's it's what makes me fall in love with the sport every year. And it's it, San Diego State wants to beat you forty five to like forty. Like that's that's their kind of basketball game. Uh, a, a total of maybe fifty possessions, just a real slow rock fight kind of game which usually doesn't play well into March. And that's and that's what, what you've seen with San Diego State. They, they had a huge opportunity last year to break into the Sweet 16 with that game against Creighton, fell short. You know, they're, they're always a consistent get-to-the-tournament team out of the Mountain West, but they don't really do anything with it. I'm stating my claim this year. This is going to be the year that they do it. Um, this is going to be the year that the Mountain West gets out of the first weekend of the of the tournament. And the reason is because of Trammell. I think Trammell is such a difference maker. They don't have to rely on Matt Bradley entirely like they used to. I, I mean, last year it was basically, okay, Did you get a flowchart. Did you get an offensive rebound? If the answer was no, did you force a turnover? If that answer was no, okay, then Matt Bradley scored because there was nothing they could do in that court outside of a Matt Bradley ISO. This year, you're seeing a little bit more of Trammell. 
So I, I, I do think they're going to, I'm going to buy them at a sweet 16 value. I would like, I'd probably make a ticket when tournament time comes um, for them to be a sweet 16 team. I'm actually going to disagree. I, I'm going to sell San Diego state. Um, I just feel like Bradley is not the same player that he's been. Uh, all his shooting percentages are down. And whenever you look at it, there's just not a lot of good three-point shooting on this team other than Seiko, who's just been a stud, you know, bench guy for them, comes in, makes threes. I, I just don't know if they're going to have enough shooting to get through some of these games in the NCAA tournament when it's going to tighten up. Uh, I agree with you. I, I love Trammell. He's a great player, but – I feel like we need Brad, Matt Bradley of last year, or the year before, who's just, you know, can get to 27, 28 points in a game. I don't know. It's just something different with him this year. I don't I don't know if he's adjusting to life with another scoring guard on the team or, you know, all the offense not going through him. But it's concerning to me that his shooting percentages have gone down this year. I thought he would get better looks and shoot the ball better, actually. Um, I'm just concerned about the shooting, man. That's that's perfectly fair. Like, I mean, if if you're going to be concerned with one thing about San Diego State, it's definitely going to be their ability to put the ball in the basket. Um, and also, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Lamont Butler. He's he's having another great year, but he's he's been there and he's kind of been the the counterpunch to um, Matt Bradley. But but this year, Trammell coming in from Seattle has been a huge upgrade for them out of out of just some secondary scoring. So let's move on to the next team, Ben. All right, the next team we're moving on to is going to be the College of Charleston, um, a team that was in the rankings in the top 25 earlier this year. They've kind of gone in and out. I think this week they're out. Uh, they're on the outside looking in, I'm pretty sure. They are. And um, they I are. don't know. They've taken some They've taken some weird losses lately, Casey. They were very concerning to me. <laughs> um, man. I don't know. What you don't. About you it. don't like. Uh, you don't. You you think losing at Drexel uh, is is a bad loss? Concerning. Very concerning. Yes, I agree. <laughs> bad loss. I don't yeah. know. Man. I would. I'd classify. I'd. Uh, I'd classify. Uh, losing at um, <laughs> Drexel, a a a bad loss. Uh, that venue holds twenty five hundred. <laughs> The Hofstra team. loss was was okay. Uh, I think Hofstra is a pretty good team, but yeah, is it though? Uh, in terms of their conference, I think the Hofstra loss now is concerning that it was at yeah, home. That's, I, that's, but they still scored eighty one points. Hofstra shot Hofstra shot shot the ball really well that day. But the Drexel loss, I don't know, man. And and some of these games are a little too tight for my liking. Only two points over UNCW. Only two points over Towson really escaping some of these games, five points over Stetson. These are not good mid-major teams. Um, they got a lot of press early in the year. You know, they beat some some good teams like Davidson and Virginia Tech, um, Richmond, and uh, a lot of publicity about their coach. I even think he got an ESPN article written about him, but I don't know. I, I don't feel good about them going into the tournament. Completely agree. Agree, man. I I think this team. I, I I'm gonna be honest with you, Ben. I think at this point of the season, they need to just make the tournament. Like that's because I don't think they've done enough 
to Semenna's spot as an at-large bid. I, re- I really don't. Like, if they if they have five games left, okay, if they lose one or two of those, do you think they're in the tournament no matter what they do in their conference tournament? No, 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 no. Uh, no. Uh, exactly. They have like, to win I, out, I think... and they have to get at least the semifinals, probably yeah. the finals. And I really think the only team they could lose to is Hofstra just based on their – what is right. in their conference? They're, yeah, yeah, because they beat they beat UNCW tonight, which is like another good colonial team, and they they do have Towson left on the schedule. Which I mean, shout out, shout out, Pat Scary, man! Like you take over the program and you go one in thirty one in your first year. Do you remember Towson had that losing streak where they hadn't won in like two three years? Yeah. Pat Scary has taken over and like actually made them a competitive colonial team so shout out to him just i i love these coaches that take over these awful jobs and really just immerse themselves and like no i'm gonna rebuild it so i just wanted to give him a shout out along with uh along with kielsey for uh for charleston but no i they they gotta just make the tournament at this point dude like that's that's what i'd be buying buying that one i do not take them in your bracket. Do not take them in any pick and pools. Like, stay away from Charleston. I agree. And even Joe Lenardi has them as next four out right now. So he agrees that yeah. he, they haven't done enough. Uh, move back into, excuse me. Yeah, move back into the Mountain West for New Mexico here, Casey. Another team kind of like Charleston started extremely hot this year was talked about a lot in the national media. They've cooled down a lot recently. They dropped a game to Nevada. They dropped a game to Utah State. They dropped another game to Nevada. Um, UNLV at home, Fresno on the road. These are concerning losses in my eyes. I still love their team, but they kind of feel like one of those mid-major teams that just dominate home games, and they run up the record. And um, I just don't know they have uh, the Yeah. <laughs> their home field advantage is incredible Duh. yeah like yeah they have one of the better home court advantages uh on ken palm it's seventh in d1 uh it, 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 so i mean let's factor in the home court advantage right you have the pit which is like a legendary venue for mid-majors um if you type in the pit hill you'll just see this like thing Right by where they come in at the entrance, and they're all and all the players try to throw the ball up there. It's pretty cool, um, but no, they they play at a fifty one hundred elevation. Like that's a huge, that is a massive um, home court advantage. The reason I would buy them is this: they're in the Mountain West, which is a, it's not a one bid mid major league. Okay, they've beaten St. Mary's, which is a huge win. On the they road. beat Nora Roberts. They've beaten Go State. Yeah, on the road at St. Mary's. They they've beaten Boise. They've beaten Oral. They've beaten San Diego State. And they they get a road win at Boise and a, and a home win at San Diego State. They just can't have the uh, bad loss. They you know they have Air Force, Wyoming, San Jose State, Fresno State, Colorado State left outside of the San, outside of the Boise and San Diego State games. Those are all like must wins. You you have to take care of business in those. 
And then I think they kind of cement themselves into the tournament. And the reason I buy them is if you have one star player, I'm going to say, all right, I, I like what you can do. If you have two star players, I'm really going to bet on you come tournament time because that's ultimately what is going to elevate 95% of the major teams that, that get a, a win or two in the tournament is having that star player. So, I I mean, how can you go against Jalen House and Joel Mashburn Jr.? Yeah, shout out to Morris. But, but no, no more than as well. Yeah, no, no more than uh, no more than sixteen appearance for them. And yes, shout out to Morris Udoizi, um, because he's he's the classic like undersized big that and, and you know I mean who knows who knows where they get matched up right? I mean maybe maybe he does maybe they're like a ten seed or something and he can get matched up with like a big time big. I think that would be hilarious to watch visually. I mean, we've seen it before. Uh, who, who's the kid at Texas Tech from Oral Roberts? Uh, blanking on his name. Oh, um, O'Banner. Yeah, O'Banner did it in that Oral Roberts run. I mean, he was undersized in almost every matchup yeah. at the center, and he played great. Yeah. So, And then the kid off of Delaware last yeah, year. I mean, I mean not Delaware. <laughs> uh, St. Peter's last year was Saint undersized Peter's, as well yeah. and just battled <laughs> Dude, his that was a... butt off. Yeah. I mean, he was going to get Zachy. <laughs> Crazy. All right, uh, we'll move on to <laughs> probably like a team favorite of the show, I would say, with Liberty. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll let you go. Hey, look, they're, they're going to be uh, – Look, I mean, they're going to be like a 14 or a 15 seed. They have to win the A-Sun. Like, A-Sun's a one-bit of league through and through. I, I mean, if it was to me, I'd have like five A-Sun teams in the tournament every year. But it's just the reality of, you know, the, the size of the conference – I would say if if Liberty is a 14 or 15 seed, depending on the matchup, if it's if it's not a monstrous team that can just match their pace and give it inside, this might be a team that that if you want a long shot upset pick, I would look into Liberty. And it really boils down to they're gonna get it up and down court and they're gonna shoot threes. And the three-pointer is the great equalizer for these mid-major, low major teams like Liberty. If they get hot, I mean, happen. The problem is they they have kind of had some bad losses with with Lipscomb of late. Um, I I wanted to see them dominate the Ace on this year. They're not they're not quite doing it, but they are having a pretty a pretty impressive a pretty impressive year. So it's definitely going to be them. It's going to be Oral Roberts and them at the end. Um, Bellerman's been terrible this year and i mean that's that's largely due to the amount of transfers that they had so um yeah it's it's going to be a liberty and and at the at the end this is not a this is not a good year in the sun uh compared to last year where we talked about the ace on like almost every episode yeah they had like six good teams last year um i will say i like liberty a little bit more than in past years peebles has taken a big step as a three-point shooter uh Rhodes has been pretty solid again in his this might be his fifth year, fourth year. Uh, but Peebles has taken a big step from freshman to sophomore year, becoming a reliable scorer, reliable shooter. So they've become a little less heliocentric around McGee, uh, which is always better come tournament time just to have more guys that can get it done. Uh, we'll move into a team that is uh, beat Gonzaga the other night and is leading their conference, and that would be St. Mary's. Uh, 
very, very impressive with what I've seen from them this year. I know, Casey, you like to point guard a lot. I, I do. I, I love Aiden, Aiden Mahaney. I mean, folks, if you're if you're sitting at home right now at, on a uh, on a laptop or you know some sort of cellular device and you're not driving, um, you should look up Aiden Mahaney uh, because this kid looks like your your local high school's uh, like starting sophomore point guard. That's just that's just better than everyone. Um, he. he he is a bucket through and through. And what I mean by that is he can score anywhere on in, in half court, right? I mean, he's shooting 41% from, from three right now. He's able to, to knock down threes. However, the other night against Gonzaga, I, I think he went one of seven from three, one of eight from three. The only three he made was a bank, like a, a bank prayer. But what makes him such an impressive bucket getter is his ability to use the left hand against Gonzaga on more than one occasion he would go left and make the um the the like the the guard hook shot that the great Xavier Simpson of uh uh of uh Michigan patented where where you kind of do this do this hook shot runner and you bank it in and he did that a couple times with his left and that's that's really impressive because you can't just force him one way and he has a three-point shot to match if if you are um not letting him drive so really impressive with Mahaney but ultimately this team top to bottom they're so smart they're so fundamentally sound this is by far the best St. Mary's team man uh percentage on offense so that's how often you get the ball stolen from them is seven percent that is third in the country um, they really do a good job of taking care of the basketball and they're a good three-point shoot team. So all of that plays come March. This is by far, by far the best anyone outside of Gonzaga has been in, in WCC. So I would, I'd be shocked if St. Mary's doesn't make it out of the first weekend and they might be a sleeper final four team. So I, I really like St. Mary's a lot this year. I I agree with you. This is my favorite St. Mary's team. They have the youth, they have the experience, and they most importantly they have the size. I feel like they always have pretty good guard play and good wing play. But uh, Saxon at six ten oh, yeah. and Bowen at six eight has really provided them some size and rebounding that they've lacked in uh, past years. Saxon is is a big old boy. Uh, he he's a force inside. Eight point four rebounds a game. He's six two two four six ten two forty five. Um, that's just really important. Just to have a body like that to go up against a Zach Eady or a Trace Jackson Davis or a Oscar Tshiebwe. If you come up against one of these teams, sometimes these mid majors are so good, but they have one fatal flaw. They can't guard a big guy. They can't guard a fast point guard, you know, something like that. So they seem to be multifaceted enough to really survive those kind of um, trials and tribulations come tournament time. Uh, last team, Casey, Florida Atlantic. Uh, I think everyone coming into the year kind of drew this league up as UAB's to lose. Florida Atlantic has, has taken it with two hands. They're 22-2 and two on the season. Um They've always been pretty good, but this is just a, a crowning achievement. 12-1 and one in conference so far. Uh, extremely impressive offensive basketball team. 
the one loss they took in conference was to UAB, and I think UAB had to score 87 points to beat them. So uh, I like this FAU team, man. I, they sometimes even get it done grimy low scoring, which I like even more than these 88 to 85 wins or whatever they do. So I, I know they can score in the 80s, upper 80s, but the defense of some of these games when it hasn't really been going uh, has really impressed me. And they really haven't dropped any bad games. Yeah, they, they do a great job of limiting the second chance points for their for their uh for the team of the garden for their opponent. They they make threes. They do everything that you'd want to see for a team that you're potentially picking to <clears throat> upset someone in the first round. My one concern with them, um, I I, I really like to look at. What did they do in non-con when they got the opportunity to to play to play the competitive teams? And they they squeaked out a win against Florida and they lost to Ole Miss. Outside of that, we really don't have any data points when they played better competition. In the in the CUSA, your best teams are really than UAB. They've taken care of business there, uh, only dropping one to UAB so far. They they don't play they've played north texas twice already and they've they won both games by four so i like what i've seen from them when they've played tough competition in in the cusa do i think they can make a tournament run i i i, I don't know if they can make a tournament run in terms of you know a sweet 16 but I could see maybe winning one game depending on their seed and matchup. Yeah. What I like about them and what we've talked about with some of these teams is their variety of scoring options. Uh, they have five guys averaging over nine points a game. They have two guys shooting over 40% from three a game on, on high, high volume. Um, they have a bunch of guys who can just shoot the basketball. Uh, they don't really have one star they rely upon. You know, if he gets nicked up in a game you're done they don't have that uh they just have a lot of options i think come tournament time and uh i've always liked the coach i I think he's a very good coach they've never had really terrible years they've always been in the mix in the cusa and uh it just seems like this is the accumulation of talent they needed and they put it together but again no one saw this coming preseason i don't think in cusa everybody chalked it up to uab i think uab's fourth or fifth in the conference this year now but you know, you chalk that up to injuries a little bit for the Blazers, but um, FAU, so you're selling, Casey, is what you're telling me. I'm selling the idea that they make a a, a run. I'm buying the idea that they can win um, one game in, in a tournament. The, the other thing that they have that a lot of the major teams don't own is a seven-footer. I mean, they have like legit seven-footer. And Vladislav Golden, and yes, he's Russian. I mean, duh. I just, I don't, I don't know if their style necessarily is gonna is is going to be able to do it when they play better competition. That's my concern. That's fair. All right, well, that will wrap it up for our contenders or pretenders segment. Uh, we'll go ahead and move on to the best and worst thing we saw this week. Uh, Casey, you ready? Yeah, and I'm gonna kick off both of them because they happen in the same like five seconds of each other, and it's it's the Vanderbilt Tennessee game. 
So the worst thing I saw was Vanderbilt had two fouls in the in the second half. You we you and I watch a lot of college basketball. How do you have two fouls in a college basketball half in the SEC playing the way you play, especially especially against um Tennessee, who's like yeah. I mean, they're they're going to take the ball to the hole. There's going to be contested rebounds. You'd think they'd accumulate four, uh, but they had two fouls at the end of the game, right? So they turned the ball over with 17 seconds left. Zakai Ziegler, Ziegler turns around, which I think was kind of a mistake in the first place, but we'll we'll get to the real mistake later. So he turns around. They foul him. So now they're up to three fouls. In the NBA I believe there's a rule with like under two minutes where if you just foul twice, like you immediately are at the line. And I don't like when college basketball copies the NBA for anything really, but this might've been a situation where that rule would have, would have been helpful because we then, (laughs) we then get 10, 10 game seconds, but it took about what, two minutes real time of just constant inbounding the basketball running around Getting fouled, uh, Tennessee called at least one timeout. I, I they might have called two, um, to avoid a five second call. By the end of it, it it, it leads with Julian Phillips catching the ball wide open, no one by him on the goal after inbounds pass on the sideline, and instead of just dunking the ball with like 10, 11 seconds left, he pinwheels back. And they and they foul him. So then they have one more under the basket. That's when they call the five. That's when they almost called the five spin. They call the timeout. Ultimately, Vescovy goes to the line, misses the front end of the one and one. And Vanderbilt played this perfect. A lot of times you see after that the coach saying, "Oh, scramble drill. I like. I I like what what I can maybe do with this scramble drill." Jerry Stackhouse calls a timeout. Great coaching. And with four seconds left, they get a beautiful, beautiful corner three. Um, and and the guy knocks it down. And it was also the same player. I need to I need to look up his name real quick. It's zero on Vanderbilt. It was the same player who had the original turnover to give Tennessee the ball to Starless. It was Ty- Tyron Tyron Lawrence. Um so shout out to him, third year junior now. Um, you know, he's seen some dark times at Vanderbilt, but he hit a huge shot. I mean, that that was massive. So kudos to you, Vanderbilt. That was the best thing I saw was Vandy with the buzzer beater to beat their in-state rival, Tennessee. I think it snapped an 11-game losing streak to Tennessee. Uh, what I like to Stackhouse did, too, is sometimes coaches call the timeout as soon as they get the rebound, or sometimes coaches let him play it all the way out. He did the best of both worlds, in my opinion, which was letting yeah. the guy run up the court, advance it, and then you can inbound from the sideline instead of having to go the full length of the court with eight seconds or whatever it was. It was just much easier. They got a great drive. Guy made a great kick. Um, great to see. Uh, my worst thing I saw also involved Tennessee over the weekend. The ending of the Auburn-Tennessee game, first of all, the game was just disgusting in general. But the foul at or the non-call on the foul at the end of the game on the Auburn jump shooter um, – that's just something in the NBA. They call a million times after a million because of their plays or safety initiatives. I and mean, the defender went right under him as he shot the ball. Uh, 
didn't give him landing space at all for the shot. I, I thought that was should have been an easy call. Then Auburn should have had three free throws to tie the game. I thought that was pretty poor officiating and a poor ending to a terrible basketball game, in my opinion. Uh, okay. Well, no, it, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. I thought that was a great basketball game <laughs> while I have you. I, I just it don't enjoy just, teams that are struggling game. to score, continually jacking up three-pointers. That's just not something I, I agree enjoy. with that. Um, but my one, so so my one counter to this being the thing, um, I, I I'd say the true worst thing wasn't that call at the end. The true worst thing was what Jalen Williams. Oddly enough, that we have another Jalen Williams. I uh, cannot believe it. But what Jalen Williams was doing to put the official in that situation, and that was constantly falling down when he shot threes. So they gave it to him once. Then they called him on a flop on the second time. So at the end, the official pretty much just said, I'm not, I'm not calling anything on this. And I don't even know if it was Jalen Williams who shot it. I think he was Jalen Williams who shot it because he was he was falling down every time he shot the ball. And I, I feel for the official being in that situation, he should have called it. But with with the history of that during that game, I, I was not surprised he didn't call it. I'll put it like that. Uh, the best thing I saw this week was another streak that was broken. How about Georgetown breaking their streak of 29 conference losses in a row? Um, shout out to Patrick Ewing for finally getting that off his ledger. Um, I, this Georgetown team, I've actually enjoyed to watch this season. Uh, they play pretty good offense. They just can't play any defense at all. But Primo Spears and Brandon Murray, our guy. Just, just really fun to watch offensively. They're so savvy. They get great shots off, uh, un- relenting to the rim, and really good jump shooters. Uh, but man, they just don't play any defense. But, but shout out to them. They won eighty-one to seventy-six over DePaul. Um, if you're looking to bet some overs, if you're looking to bet some overs, I would take Georgetown games. That'd be a good. Bet I agree, and if you're looking to bet some team total unders, hammer LSU team total under. It's been it's been making me some good money lately, and and usually their opponent as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, they're going to get in rock fights. Ben, anything else before we hit the road? Nope. All right, well, great conclusion there, bud. Uh, thank you for joining in as always you can follow us on at on the line NCA on Twitter uh, like subscribe we're available on all podcast platforms anywhere you get podcasts um, and yeah thanks for the support see you